Tonight, we're going to go into uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's right after Proverbs. And uh, we looked at Proverbs last week and did an overview of, of that book. So we're making, so far, we're making a book a week on these, um, on cruising through and looking at an overview of each of these books. And we, um, this is working, I hope it is. Uh, there it goes. So uh, when we looked at Proverbs last week, we talked a little bit about how all three of these books for the most part, with the exception of maybe a couple of chapters in Proverbs, were written by Solomon, um, and uh, probably during the time of being a king, probably maybe early years of being a king, um, and Ecclesiastes was written in the later years of his life. It was written when he was looking back at life, many accomplishments in his life, uh, and uh, the things that he, that he did all during his time as a... Um, as a king and as just as a, as a person, as a human being. So we'll look at this book tonight. It's 12 chapters. And the key word in, that, in the book is vanity. And as we see, um, we've seen in each of our studies so far, there's usually key phrases and sometimes key passages. Um, each book, the way that it's written, the style is different, of course. The style of Ecclesiastes is different from the style of, say, First Second Chronicles. Uh, because First Second Chronicles gives a running biography, if you want to use that word, of the different kings of Israel and of, of Judah uh, in, in the Chronicles books. And so it's, it's written as a different type of writing. And this, the book of Ecclesiastes is almost, you almost would call it for some, some, to some degree a biography of Solomon himself. Because much of his life is found in this, chat, in, in this book. And so there's some really interesting things in Ecclesiastes, and we'll, um, we'll look at those as we go through this. So uh, there are 12 chapters in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. They are, um, there are a lot of sayings. Now, the thing about Ecclesiastes, um, you see the word wisdom like you do in Proverbs. But one of the things about Ecclesiastes is in Proverbs, it'll skip. You'll see a verse about, maybe a verse about uh, the tongue. And then the next verse will be something about uh, wisdom and something about the fear of the Lord or something about um, uh, maybe something about um, uh, uh, the um, uh, anger or something, some other, some other thing you'll see in there. And it'll go from subject to subject. Now, the thing in Ecclesiastes, he usually follows the same thing for several verses. He may change up a little bit in the same chapter, but it has a different flow than the book of Proverbs. And so that's why it's almost like an autobiography of his life because he tells the many things that he did and that he went through. So when we started our study in the timeline, way back when we started looking at Genesis at the first of the year, we said that creation is probably somewhere around 4,000 B.C. Um, was whenever, you know, the uh, Genesis 1 and the creation of uh, uh, heaven and the earth, creation of Adam and Eve. Um, so that gives you, you know, just an idea of the time frame between then. So about... About 3,000 years passed to Proverbs and a little, little more than that to Ecclesiastes. So it was probably written uh, maybe all in one year of his life, most likely in the later time of his life, about 947 B.C. So uh, written just a, uh, several years, I guess, really, after Proverbs was written. And um, the word Ecclesiastes right there, look at verse, let's read a couple of verses just to get started. Let's look at verse 1 and read down to verse number, uh, well, let's, let's read 1 through 11 for right now. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, it seems odd that Solomon calls himself a preacher. He was a, he was a, a king, we know that. But uh, we'll look at the, the meaning of that Ecclesiastes in just a moment. The son of David, the king in, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities. He jumps right out in the very first sentence after he introduces himself. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So he's taking this first verse and kind of summing the whole book up at the beginning. So uh, a lot of times when you, when you buy a book and you read, uh, look inside, you'll see what they call the foreword. And in the foreword, it's basically they're you know, telling what they're going to write about. And so that's what he's doing here is he's, he's giving that in that first couple of verses. Verse 3, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? And that's a phrase we'll look at in just a moment too. One generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth and the sun goeth down and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south 
and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth according to his circuits. And um, that, that same phrase, the circuits of the sun, also is found in the book of uh, Psalms, I believe in chapter 90. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything where it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time which was before us. Verse 11, There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So the uh, word Ecclesiastes means a preacher or teacher, and we see the word preacher there where he introduces himself as a preacher. Uh, later years in the New Testament, when the New Testament was written in Greek language, the, the New Testament term uh, ecclesia is a Greek word for Church, So you can see from that word Ecclesiastes, our English word there, and then that Greek word, except for you have K's where there would be C's. The K's are pronounced like we do C's with Ecclesiastes pronounced as K. And so um, and we use it in later, in later years, New Testament terms, and during the time we live in, you, you hear the word sometimes ecclesiastical. That's a long word meaning um, basically the sum of Christianity, you know, all various denominations. And so... Um, he, he refers to himself as the preacher and um, in the beginning there. Then you see that word vanity of vanities, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But to whom was it was written? Well, it was written to everyone. It was written in Solomon's older years. And as we look at it um, and talk about this, we're going to look at a few key words, and then we'll see how it applied at the time when Solomon wrote it, and then see how it applies to those who are believers. The word vanity, we just, we just read it several times, is found 28 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, that is pretty much the theme of the whole book. We'll, we'll, we'll define this in just a moment. The word uh, or the phrase vexation of spirit uh, is nine times and then vexation of heart is found one time and under the sun is found 27 times. When you, when you think of something as a vanity, of course there's the vanity of like ladies, you know, used to used to call it a vanity, uh, you know, where they look in the you know mirror or whatever, getting dressed. Uh, vanity means basically means vain. It means it is of of no uh, really uh, long term use whatsoever. And so that's found twenty eight times. Vexation of spirit. The word to vex your spirit means is something that's troubling to you, um, something that that um, concerns you, or maybe even brings you to the point of worry because he uses that phrase vexation of spirit and vexation of heart. And so as he looks at life, he describes it as being under the sun. We read that, and it's found 27 times in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. So understand, as you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, although God's name is certainly mentioned several times in here, he describes life under the sun, meaning looking at life just as a just as an average everyday person would look at it who may or may not believe in God. They may believe in God, but yet they may not see life as having any purpose, at least long-standing purpose. And so under the sun means you're looking simply at life as there's, you know, whatever, whatever, comes, whatever happens and, and comes to your life that time, when you die and you pass off the scene, there'll be other people that live after you and you'll be forgotten. In fact, there are verses about that in here. I'm not sure if it's in one of our sections we'll look at tonight, but there are verses about that in here that people, you know, you die and you're forgotten and then another generation comes along. We read something about that in, in these verses just a moment ago. Um, the next generation comes along and basically you're forgotten. And so that's the way Solomon was looking at life. He was seeing it all vain. He was seeing it as with no lasting purpose. Although when you read through these chapters, you'll see where he got pleasure out of certain things at certain times. And he describes that. And we'll look at some of those. But he uses those phrases over and over. Vanity, vexation of spirit, under the sun. And it describes the way of looking at life either without God or maybe that God is just way up here and he created everything, but he's really not concerned about his creation. We're going to look at a, a simple outline of the book 
and then um, a little bit deeper outline. Then we're going to look at some sections and so I think some really interesting practical things from Ecclesiastes. So uh, as we've tried to do with most of our books, we're trying to make it, even though we're getting a bird's eye view of the book and trying to find out just, you know, briefly what is in it, and that's, that's why we're calling it, you know, Route 66. We're just, you know, cruising on through. We do want to look at some of the practical matters in there because my, my desire for us is... Um, in, in the study is not only to you know get a good overview of the book, but to to give you a little bit more hunger to dig down into to each book and read them and find in them uh, what is 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 inexhaustible. You you'll never find out and, and and discover all the truths of Scripture. As I study each of these books, I'm finding more and more that I didn't know, and it, that's that's the way it is when you study the Bible. You're going to find more you didn't know, and you take what you learn and build on what you already know. That's how you learn your way around Scripture, and that's what I'm hoping we'll do. Chapter 1, simply verses 1 to 3, we read those in our first 11 verses. Basically, humanity's problems are stated. He says, all is vanity. Uh, Verse 3, what profit is there of a man, uh, all his labor that he takes under the sun? Uh, you work and then you you die. Your life's over. And when you when you die, you leave everything behind. There's it doesn't go with you. Then the longest section is chapter one, verse four through chapter eleven, verse seven, and it gives humanity's problems. It studies humanity's problems. Um, he looks at um, major, uh, you could call them problems, but major major issues in life, major pleasures in life, uh, because he talks at different times about he talks about wealth. He talks about um, Food and being able to um, to have plenty to produce plenty because you know he he his uh, his his gardens everything was just beautiful I'm sure all his flowers all the food that he had and so he talks about all these things and he he studies them from the perspective of it seems to be just vanity there's nothing that lasts and then the the last section chapter eleven verse eight through chapter twelve verse fourteen we see the problems solved as as Solomon spends time looking. And, um, and describing many of those problems and what happens in life. Um, we're not going to look at, break down all of these sections and read over them, but if you would like to make some notes on this, and I'll, for, for the recording I'm making, I'll, I'll um, read each, each of these out so they can, if they want to make notes on this. Chapter 1, verse 4 through 11, you see some science in, in uh, Ecclesiastes. He talks about the circuit of the wind and the, uh, the seas and the water and the rivers and everything, you know, flowing into the, the rivers, flowing into the sea. And so we see some science there in chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. By the way, let me mention, science, science and Scripture, real science never contradicts Scripture. And Scripture will never contradict real science. If it's real science, uh, it will not contradict Scripture. When you hear somebody talk about millions and millions of years ago, you know they're, they're, not, they're not in reality. They're talking about some fantasy. So um, science and Scripture do not contradict. They complement each other. And so a lot of Christians are afraid, thinking that, oh, no, science is going to prove the Bible wrong. If science has something and it's true, the Bible somewhere has stated it. Even if it might be in general terms, the Bible has stated it somewhere. Uh, like with creation and so forth. It, it's made it clear. So science is one of those things. Chapter 1, verse 12 to 18, there's a, little, there's a good bit about philosophy. In fact, a lot of the whole book is about that. But chapter 1, verse 12 to 18, uh, philosophy of life. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, about pleasure. Now, again, he mentions pleasure in several places, but especially in chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 12 to 26, he talks about materialism, how he gathered together um, all these things he could get um, of, uh, of, of money and of possessions and things that he could get, materialism. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 15, um, we'll actually come to this in a little bit, I believe, but um, chapter 3, verse 1 to 15 is the uh, passage that if, if anyone knows anything out of Ecclesiastes due to the 1960s folk song, everybody knows chapter 3. Um, to everything there's a season, right? Turn, turn, turn. So um, fatalism in chapter 3, verse 1 to 15, it talks about how, uh, you know, there's time for everything, a season for everything, but again, it's all uh, empty. Um, ultimately, it's all empty. Chapter 3, verse 16 to 416, um, the theme of that is deism. That is believing that there is a God but believing that God created everything and he just kind of let it run on its own. Back in the days of um, when our um, Constitution was, uh, Declaration of Independence, our Constitution was written, uh, many of our founding fathers were Christians. They were believers. 
some of our founding fathers might not have been Christians, but they at least believed in God. And so in that time period, uh, coming over from England, it was very, a very popular view of, of uh, looking at God and, and, um, and, and, um, and life was what we call deism. That is believing that there is a God, but it's kind of like he, he took the whole universe, he created it, but it's kind of like taking a watch or a clock and winding it up and just letting it run down. And that is, let it run without touching it. Let it run and, and not be involved with it at all. So um, life from a deist, uh, point of view of, of deism, um, that God created it, but he just really doesn't have any say-so over thing, or he's not really involved in anything. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, um, you see uh, verses that you might want you might, might describe as religion because he does mention God and going into the house of God. In fact, one of the subjects in, in that passage of Scripture is about making vows before God. Chapter 5, verse 9 through chapter 6, verse 12 is about wealth. Now, he talks about possessions earlier, but this is about wealth in particular. Um, and that's, that's 5, 9 through 6, 12. Good, good many verses there. Chapter 7, verse 1, this is the uh, longest section here, through chapter 11, verse 8, is, is about morality. He talks about uh, all through there uh, morality. Now, and it's not so much like um, morality as far as, as, um, as sexual Type thing. It has to do with morality among living among people and the way you treat other people. So that's the longest section in chapter 7, verse 1 through chapter 11 and verse 18. So um, let's see. I'm going to go backwards there. Let's move to our next one here. I can find it. Chapter 12 gives, um, uh, in that chapter, he brings everything back to beginning with talking about God. He says in verse 1, Remember thou thy creator in the days of thy youth. So he, he sums up the whole book by saying that only the Lord can bring satisfaction in our lives. And he's the only one that ultimately can because he created us. And that's, uh, again, verse 1, he starts with that. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Only the Lord can bring satisfaction. That's found when we end the book in chapter number 12. Well, let's look at a few places where it compares to, um, to some New Testament passages. Go with me to chapter 2 and uh, look with me at verse 4 through 11. Then we'll go to um, the New Testament. We're going to do this with a couple of passages. Chapter 2, verse 4. I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. Man, all the places he had of gardens and, and everything, it must have been beautiful. I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water where we're the wood that bringeth forth trees. And those probably were very beautiful, I'm sure. Verse 7, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the, uh, excuse me, the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me singers and uh, men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. Verse 9, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever my eyes desired I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He was just telling all these great things that he had accomplished, all these great things that he owned or that were made either by himself or by his servants. And then he sums it up and says, it's all vanity. It's all vexation of spirit. Go over to chapter 12 of Luke with me for a moment. And verse 15, very similar to this guy, except uh, we see later on that at least Solomon acknowledges the Lord. Uh, chapter 12 of Luke, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, 
and there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. So Jesus uses that parable uh, of that of that gentleman about and, and to teach about covetousness because the thing that was wrong with this man was not that he had a lot of things he left God out of everything well Solomon realizes that having all these things and even these servants that are able to to produce and care for the things that that, I've, that either he built or he bankrolled or whatever um, he realized all his vanity and vexation of spirit because he knew that it was going to be it was going to be uh, gone one day one day when he was no longer uh, when he left this life it would all be gone and probably someone else would get it uh, let's look at a, one or two one more and and then we'll move on to some more stuff about the book itself Ecclesiastes five verse ten and verse eleven. This is kind of similar, but he says this, He that loveth silver should not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also his vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what, is, what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Now, that's similar to what he said before, but he, he uh, talks about getting all the, the profit that he can. And that reminded me of Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. Where Jesus says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So um, here in, in chapter 5, Solomon's talking about material uh, goods and, and, um, and that, um, the, you know, that, would, that would only last so long. Uh, and when he, they increase, he says, they, they, trouble, they trouble the ones that have them. And Jesus said, what, what shall it profit a man? He gained the whole world and lose his own soul. So with that in mind, we're going to go a little deeper into Ecclesiastes, but let's look at two, two lessons learned. We talk about traffic jams and potholes in each of these books on our, on our route, route through, route through, uh, travel through Route 66. So there are two lessons, major lessons, that you see from Ecclesiastes. First of all, for the lost person, life without Jesus Christ is empty. Um, all those things that Solomon had. And when you look at what he says in there, it doesn't matter if a person has much or very little. Life without Jesus Christ is empty. Because and when he sums up chapter 12, we'll see how he mentions the, our Creator, how he mentions God, and how important it is to realize that one day you'll stand before God and, and give account of your life. And so for the lost person... Life without Jesus Christ is completely empty. Um, the only purpose is from birth to death and then nothing uh, after that. For the Christian, life without serving the Lord is futile. It's pointless. When we're saved, um, God has something for us to do till he calls us home. So we, we serve him the rest of our life. That's where we're going to find the real joy. That's where we're going to find the real satisfaction. Whether we have very little or like Solomon probably never liked Solomon exactly, but like Solomon, you have a whole lot. Uh, life without serving the Lord is futile. It's, it's pointless. And so uh, those are the major lessons that are learned from the book of Ecclesiastes. So let's uh, look a little bit more um, into, um, well, here's a lesson that, that we learned kind of as a uh, a footnote to that last one. Solomon used what God had blessed him with to, to measure against others rather than to bless others with what he had. He talked about all the things in there and you never see him saying anything about others. It's all focused on himself. So that's kind of a, a follow-up to, to that last point we made about, about serving the Lord uh, as a Christian. So let's look at a few important places in Ecclesiastes. and um, We sectioned it off in our outline but let's go to uh, chapter 2 and verse 24. And then over to chapter 3 and verse 13. And then he talks about the importance of enjoying life now. 2.14. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. This is what I want us to see the second half. And I myself perceived that one event happeneth to them all. In other words... Um, whether you're wise or fool, and you could, uh, you could say no matter who you are in life, one event's going to happen, that is we're all going to, uh, to die. And of course, as believers, um, hopefully we'll be alive when the rapture happens, but everyone will face death. And so look at chapter 3 and verse 13. 
And also that, uh, actually back up to verse 12. Back, I should have put 12 and 13 together in chapter 3. I know um, that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So the, uh, this kind of goes back to what we're looking at with the man that Jesus talked about in the parable, where he said, I'm going to build me bigger barns and all this. He leaves God out of it. But here we see where Solomon says um, to enjoy life because it's a gift from God. God gives us life. Um, the Bible tells us over in... Um, um, uh, Paul writes in, I'm trying to think if it's in, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy 6. But anyway, he said, God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy uh, family. He wants us to enjoy life and enjoy the good things in life. He created that for us. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift is from above. So if it's something that's good and right, God wants us to enjoy it. Our life's too short not to. So there's the importance of enjoying life now. Now, um, as you can see with Solomon, his problem was he got bogged down too much into life now and life under the sun. But nevertheless, that is the gift of God, to enjoy life now. Um, next thing, go with me to chapter 4, if you will, in verse 9 through verse 12. Another familiar section in, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is the truth about a fellowship in the Christian life. And this applies in several ways. Of course, it can apply in marriage. It can apply in a family. It can apply uh, in church life part of it. So um, especially verse 9 and 10 for church life, for believers, for, for Christian friends. Chapter 4, verse 9 through verse 12. Uh, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Jesus told the, uh, the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, he said, Where two or more gather together in my name, I'm there in the midst. So in the Christian life, the, the importance of fellowship, there is strength in numbers. And this, this verse talks about it, even though it mentions only two or three. There is strength in numbers for Christians. Uh, when we, Jesus said, any of you touching, uh, agree is touching anything when you pray, I'll answer. Now, that's not just a blank check. I mean, it doesn't mean he's going to answer you know, uh, things that maybe are asked for the wrong reason. But what he's saying is, is there is power in praying together about something. There's power in two people or a group of people, uh, you know, like we do on Wednesday and Sunday, praying about something, praying together as a, as a body of believers. So this is um, important, a very important section in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that section is, is uh, of, of, um, uh, of all of them that he wrote, that's one of the, the few that doesn't seem to be like really dark. Looking at life at dark and as, you know, vanity, this is something very good, just like enjoying life. Um, Matthew 18, let's, let me go over there real quick, give you the right verses. Matthew 18, uh, this is where Jesus is talking about the church. Um, Matthew 18, verse, um, I'll I tell you what, I'll, I'll read 19 and 20. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on as touching anything, they shall ask and it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Uh, 1820, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So I uh, should have put that one on that verse on there, but that's that's a New Testament reference to the importance of you know numbers and fellowship together as believers. We need that as uh, as, as Christians. We need that together. Then chapter seven, verse one, and chapter ten, verse one, are some verses about the importance of our testimony. Chapter seven, verse one: A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death and day of one's birth. The first half of that is what we want to look at. A good name is better than precious ointment. And so, um, you know, something that perfume or cologne, something that smells, has a beautiful aroma to it. Something you, you put in your house, uh, the, the plug-in things in the wall, you play in or whatever, for the beautiful, you know, the smells, um, the beautiful aromas. He says, a good name is better than that. In other words, a good name has, has uh, something pleasant to it. And so there's the importance as a Christian of a good testimony. Also, chapter 10, verse 1, he puts it in the negative. <laughs> Boy, does he. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Boy, he's just right out there with it, isn't he? Uh, so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. For 
uh, for, for your testimony before others. Um, now, it doesn't mean, you know, don't joke around what he's, when he uses the word folly there as he does in the book of Proverbs. It has to do with foolishness, not just having, you know, fun, but, but, but foolish acting, foolish living. But he says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So you see a good, pleasant ointment, a pleasant smell of an ointment, chapter 7, verse 1, and then the opposite of that in 10, 1. Okay, so there's the importance of testimony. Chapter 8, verse 11 um, he says something that um, I know throughout the centuries and especially in, in, uh, in the last number of decades, it seems like has become more and more controversial. But in chapter 8, verse 11, he talks about uh, capital punishment. He says this, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now, whatever, whatever sentences for whatever crimes that are committed, however they fit the crime, so to speak. One of the problems in our nation, uh, and we're probably not the only country that has this problem, but one of our problems is uh, the very first part of that verse, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Um, you know, there are those that they may get caught, may get arrested for something, and then they sit, you know, they, they sit in jail for forever or it's forever before their trial comes up. And if it's something that's really, really something that, that you know, deserves some, some, um, some type of uh, punishment or something like that, um, when people, you know, think, well, I can get away with it. That's, that's probably um, one, of the most, uh, one of the biggest problems that any justice system has, any legal system has. Romans chapter 13 talks about the higher powers, and it says that the Bible calls those who, who uh, execute those judgments as, um, as it would be policemen, it would be judges. The Bible calls them ministers of God. It's what it says in chapter 4 of Romans verse number 13. And uh, they're the minister of God for good, it says. Uh, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. So um, he mentions, Paul talks about that very thing in Romans 13, uh, capital punishment. And so um, even Solomon says way back there, he says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So um, without a you know, swift and correct justice system, then justice is going to go completely out the window, and, and I believe that that's happened in a lot of cases. All right, um, chapter 9, if you will, and verse 5. This is a proof text for some of those that teach what's called soul sleep, but this does not teach soul sleep at all. Chapter 9, verse 5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. And so that phrase there is used by some to teach that your soul sleeps uh, when, you're de- when, when you're dead. But what again, you have to understand, Solomon's writing this under the sun. He's writing it as if life just has, well, you know, once it ends, there's no more meaning after that. So um, that's not at all what that's talking about. Uh, it's not talking about soul sleep. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you die, your spirit and soul go to um, uh, go to be with the Lord. If you're saved, they go to be with the Lord. And so um, th- that's certainly not what that means. It's just talking about once you're gone, there's, you know, there's no remembrance of you and, and no one's, you know, people will forget you over time. Family, loved ones, but they'll, they'll remember you, but others will forget you over time. Uh, and that's just the way life is, unfortunately. And, you know, unless it's in a, in a history book or something, there are a lot of, a lot of names that, you, that, that are forgetting over time. Look at chapter 10, verse 20. Um, the Bible has several places where we get some of our figures of speech. And even though this figure is not really used right here, it's pretty close. Chapter 10, verse 20. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. That's where a little bird told me from, uh, comes from, I think. And so um, it says, you know, be careful what you think or even uh, say or even think. He said um, a little bird might tell somebody. So uh, we get that figure of speech from there in um, chapter 10, verse 20. Look with me at chapter 12, if you will. And this is, or excuse me, not chapter 12, um, yeah, chapter 12. I was looking at the wrong thing on the, on the other slide. Chapter 12, verse 1. Here, he's going to describe 
old age. You may or may not have ever read this passage, but you talk about practical. You talk about looking at life. This is just really interesting here. Uh, these notes, uh, I have about three or four sources I use to help me in study. One, uh, about three or four of them. One of them is a, a pastor in Florida named James Knox, and this is from his Old Testament survey. He has a church in Deland, Florida called Bible Baptist Church in Deland, Florida. It is a really good Old Testament survey, and he, he brings some of these things out. I think J. Vernon McGee has some very similar um, notes about this, almost the same thing that, that he says. So there are several of those that, um, that I've studied that have been a help for this to help me. But look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, it's interesting because the older person gets as a believer, they look back and they realize the importance of walking with the Lord. Um, a lot of younger people don't see it. You know, even some younger Christians don't see it. But it's like, you know, remember your Creator while you're young because there are going to be days where you have no pleasure in those days. In other words, there are going to be difficult days. Um, health begins to fail and that kind of thing. So follow with me chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verse 2 to 7. Then I'm going to go through and show you um, what these describe. And when you see it, I think it will, because like I said, more than one source has, has, has uh, said, has made these comments, and I think you'll see it. Look how he describes getting older. We'll go through verse 7, start at verse 2 of chapter 12. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out the windows be darkened. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth on, uh, excuse me, goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So let's look through this, these uh, verses here. Really interesting. Again, like I said, there's more than one source where I've seen these, but... Um, I just borrowed these from, from James Knox. So when you look at these verses and start in chapter 12, verse 2 there, and describing some of the things in old age, the clouds return. That is, it's about a lack of clarity in our thought. Now, you're not like me where you're thinking about something. You're going to another room, and next thing you know, you forgot what you went in there for. You're not like that, are you? Uh, lack of clarity in your thoughts. Uh, keepers tremble. That's your hands. Uh, as you get older, and it's harder to, to grip things. I'm getting there. Strong men feeble. The legs and the knees start to wear out, and they don't, they don't move and work the way they once did. Um, let's see, keeping on. That's verse, what verse is that? About three? Somewhere, yeah. The grinders, that is the teeth. What is it, how does he put it there? Um, in verse number... Uh, the grinders cease because they are few. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you lost any teeth. I've lost one. Um, some of you may have lost some too. The grinders cease because they're few. Those that look out the window be darkened, the eyesight getting darker. Um, last year or so, I picked up readers. I've been blessed. I, I don't have to have glasses yet. I probably will. But I'm getting to the point that you know the print gets smaller and to the point where if there's not a lot of light, I can't see it very well, even if it's not small. So uh, the, the eyesight, the windows darken. There's the old saying, you know, the eyes are window to the soul. The windows darken. Uh, next thing, the doors shall be shut in the streets, and that's uh, homebound and, and not able to leave, uh, or not as much maybe. The sound is low. That would be, of course, the hearing. Some of these are pretty obvious, and some of these uh, take a little thinking about. Uh, but the sound, when the sound is low. Um, that is, um, sound of the grinding is low. That's verse 4. Uh, other half, verse 4. Rising up at the voice, easily awaken. Um, the, um, you know, sound sometimes uh, in the spring or summer, birds right out the window or train or something like that that wakes you up. Rising up at the voice, easily awaken. When the daughters of music are low, 
Nothing entertains. They say when you get older, that's the case. I'm getting older, I guess. So, Fear of heights. I quit ladders about a year ago. I don't mess with ladders anymore. Me and ladders are not friends. <laughs> not anymore. I don't like those things. It has to be one that I, it's got to be an A-frame. And then watch what I'm doing. I fell, uh, other summer I fell, and um, it's not my, not, my, not my friend at all. Uh, let's see. Fear, let's see where we at. That's in, um, be afraid that which is high, verse 5. Fear shall be in the way. That is uh, traveling, going about your way. Um, traveling. I'm in verse, we're in verse 5. And the almond tree shall flourish. You're going to like this one. White hair. Almond tree, because the almond blooms are very white. Um, white hair. And the grasshopper shall become a burden. Uh, little things get difficult. Um, little small things. Uh, I see that. And desire shall fail. Um, the, uh, you know, strength. That one's not up there, but that would be, that would be probably, you know, don't have as much strength to do and withstand as long to do normal tasks. Because a man goes to his long home, the mourners going about their streets. Uh, verse 6, or ever the silver cord be loosed. And the um, several, uh, two or three of them that I looked at, uh, talk about that is the, uh, the spinal cord. And then the golden bowl is, is uh, the brain. Or the um, uh, pitch, or excuse me, golden bowl be broken, the pitcher broken, the fountain, and the wheel at the cistern. I think I've got that. The next one, the pitcher would be a similarity to the heart because of it pumping, you know, blood. And then the wheel and cistern would be, would be circulation. But it says in verse 7 there, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. The Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And so, of course, those verses from verse 6 and 7 talk about death. The dust returns to the earth. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, verse 19, After the fall, God told Adam, uh, you're, you're made from dust, dust thou art, dust thou shalt return. And uh, the body goes back to the ground. The spirit returns to God who created us. And so it says that in verse number seven, the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So um, Paul, uh, Paul, <laughs> Solomon ends up the book of Ecclesiastes talking about life and going through life and the things that he observed, even all the things that he owned, all the things he had. And as he observed all that in his life, <clears throat> it seemed to be vanity. Uh, it didn't bring lasting satisfaction. And so one of his own verses that he wrote, he probably didn't really take to heart like he should, where he said to eat and you know, drink, enjoy life is a gift from God. He, um, he had, looks like he had more worries about things in his life than anything else. And then the book closes in verse number eight. Um, and we'll read down from there to the, end of the, to the end of the book here in just a moment. So let's look at uh, some of the things we see in here. Uh, we said in each book, in our tune-up, is where we see Jesus in Ecclesiastes in some way. Well, the entire book is that he's the one that gives life real meaning. Um, you know, faith in Christ gives any person real meaning. We trust him as Savior uh, because all these things, no matter how much or how little we have, uh, without him it doesn't really mean anything. He gives that real genuine meaning. Then chapter 12, verse 1, where um, Solomon talks about remembering your creator. Uh, he's seen there as creator. And then we'll see in verse 11 in just a moment. Um, shepherd is mentioned, and Jesus, of course, is our, is our shepherd. He's our, our great shepherd. Some of the verses in Ecclesiastes, there's so many, so many verses that you could uh, go back and read and maybe even memorize. Chapter 3, verse 11, that section about there's a time for everything. Uh, he had, um, he's made everything beautiful in his time. We have a course we sing. It's in our, our hymn book we sing sometimes. Uh, he makes everything beautiful in his time. Chapter 9, verse 10, is, uh, is another favorite verse. It's a verse about being diligent in our life to, uh, and, and committed to things that we do to put everything in it. Chapter 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. So he says, you know, while you're here and living this life, do everything to the fullest. Now, a similar verse in Colossians 3 where Paul says, uh, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? So um, very similar to this verse, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Chapter 12, 1, we saw, remember thy creator, and then we get back to chapter 12 in just a moment. The last verse we'll see here in just a moment. So go with me back to uh, chapter 12, verse 8, and we'll finish out the book. 
where he, he um, concludes everything with that phrase in verse 8. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. So remember we saw that in the, in the second verse of chapter 1, and he says the very same thing in this verse in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 8. Verse 9, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and said in order many proverbs. And I believe he's referring to the proverbs, you know, that he wrote in the book of Proverbs there, of course. Verse 10, The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads. They, they stick, it's made to stick into an animal, a, a, a cow or something, to, to get them to go the right direction. And his nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And we talked about Jesus as our shepherd, verse 12. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. And Solomon, by this time, had written three, and next week will be the, probably the first one he wrote. We'll look at the book of Song of Solomon. And much study... Is, weary, is a weariness of the flesh. Yes, it is. It is. Verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So, you know, Solomon's talking about, you know, Christian living from an Old Testament standpoint to, you know, to fear God, to, to keep the things he said. Verse 14, And this is why. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it would be evil. Now, for the Christian, of course, Paul writes uh, later on in his letters in Romans 14 and in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ, where we will give an account of the things done after we're saved. And that, that judgment is not to determine your salvation. You do that when you're saved, when you're on earth, when you get saved and trust Christ on earth. But we'll give an account of the things we've done uh, while we were on, on, uh, on this earth, through this life, before God calls us home. And so he sums it up with all of that. He said, uh, with everything in mind, all the material things, all the, um, all the philosophy, everything else, he said, summing it up, uh, remember that to fear God, keep his commandments, because he will bring everything into judgment. And one day you'll stand before God. So that's how he ends his book. Uh, of Ecclesiastes. So this is probably in his later life, probably in his retirement years. I uh, don't know how long it was written before he died, but this was written in his later life. So let's stop there. Any questions or anything on Ecclesiastes? Yes, ma'am. The breakdown of the chapters you gave with science, philosophy, uh -huh. pleasure, he's not saying to believe those things or do those things. Is he, what is he saying? That he tried them and they didn't yeah, he's tried them or he's observed those things. That's a lot of what he does in there, even things that he didn't necessarily do himself. He observed those things. So he's saying like the, um, the you know, the wind that blows or, or the circuit of the, or the, or the rivers that go into the, to the ocean, you'll run into the ocean and, and yet they're never full. Um, he's observing that and he's using that as a, an example of how there are a lot of things in life that um, seem never ending. And they're never really fulfilling. They never get to a point where um, it, it's a finished thing. It just life just keeps on and it goes on and on and on. Even after you die, it continues on. So when he when he mentions that there in those verses, um, the idea uh, is the fact that once you know before he got here, that's the way life was. While he was here, he observed that you know he could see it with his eyes. And then after he left this left this life, it would continue on like that. So we're talking about the vanity of how under the sun some things really never change. What's the old saying? The more things change, the more they stay the same, something like that. Um, how things never really change. Um, and, and I think that to me, other than maybe the last verse, the key verse to me in Ecclesiastes is chapter 1, verse 9. The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. Um, there's new technology. As, as time goes by, you know, throughout the centuries and, you know, new technologies found and, and discovered. And I mean, think back. We're old enough to think back before cell phones, aren't we? Think back before cell phones, you know, think back to <laughs> rotary dial phones and, you know, uh, even before that. So think about that's the, the that may change, but the um, the 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 basic truth, basic principles and truths about life continue on and the effort to try to find the, that philosophy in chapter 2 that would, that would help you understand all about life. And then he says it's all vanity. And then 
um, realizing that life just continues to cycle on even after you're gone. That, you know, all that's, all that's vanity. So is that what you were looking for? Okay. Yeah. Well, you were talking about deism and Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he's promoting. I think he's saying that just looking at life from the standpoint of either not believing in God or believing that God exists and that he doesn't really, he doesn't have his hand on anything. That life is just, it's all mechanical. It's all, um, it, it just, it, it's self-perpetual. It just keeps on, but there's, there's no, it seems like there's no point to it as far as anything eternal when you look at it that way. So other than the things that he experienced himself, a lot of what he's saying in there is he's observed these things from people probably uh, because not necessarily all of this applied to what he definitely did. There's some things that are obvious that it did, but okay. Anything else? He answers it. At the right. End. He does. He answers everything at the end. Right. The only thing that matters. Is to, right. Because it, even if you can't figure this out here in this chapter, figure this out in that chapter, remember your creator. Remember that God created it all, and one day you'll give an account to him. So it's like his blanket answer for everything, I guess, is I think what you're saying there, Barbara. That, yeah. All right. Anything else? Denise? We've gotten any of that out there. <laughs> Denise? Uh, yeah, back when I was in school at Athens Christian, one time Tom Dillon spoke in chapel, and he spoke on Ecclesiastes, and he likened vanity to how temporary a soap bubble is. Mm -hmm. A soap bubble just appears for a moment and it's gone. Right. And so in his big saying, he kept saying it over and over again, soap bubble of soap bubbles. Mm -hmm. All bubble is a soap bubble. Right. And he, you know, so, you know, it stuck with me all these years, so it's right. very effective. Right. That's that's a good great way to illustrate it because even the best things are just they're temporary. Even the best things are. And I think that's part of what he was saying too, because he accumulated all those things. And at the time they were very good and he enjoyed them, but then he realized when he got to the end of it that it's not gonna last as far as eternity goes. It's not really gonna outlast you know, it may or may not outlast his life, but it definitely wouldn't last as far as eternity goes. So all right. It's an interesting book. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there, and it can get a little depressing at times, but it's an interesting book. Anything else? All right, let's stand and close. Lord willing, we're going to try to go through Song of Solomon. Now, that is quite a book. That's a book I've never understood completely. I do have some, uh, some good study helps to help me, and we'll, we're not going to go verse by verse. Let's just say that. So anyway, we're, but I'm looking forward to, to that, trying to tackle that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that the, the ultimate answer, the ultimate meaning of life is found in you and found in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, that's true for every person because um, not all of us know the day of our death. We, we don't know when that will be. Um, you call some people home a lot earlier than others, and some people get a very long life on this earth, but there is a point where we come to the end of our life, and as Solomon observed, either in what he did or he saw in others, that um, there's nothing of this life itself that's lasting. It's the things that we do in this life that, that will outlast this life that are so important, things that are eternal, things that have to do with you, your son, your word, uh, your work on this earth while we're here, things that we can do to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, to uh, when it comes to winning people to Christ or when it comes to helping others that they'll turn around and hopefully do the same thing uh, in another person's life. And we thank you, Lord, that as Christians we see the meaning that you have for us uh, as we look at this book and how it seems empty a lot of times in looking at that those 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. There is there's a fullness and a joy found in your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight. Which will keep us safe. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.